Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning time together here at the Digital Cathedral. Glad to have you with me. And if this is your first Sunday, we give you a very special welcome. Glad you're with us. Hope you enjoy the teaching this morning. You draw something from it that will conform you a little bit more to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. I'm going to drop uh, number three this morning in the Gospel of John. This will be the third teaching that we've done on this, and it'll get us through the first chapter. And then next week, we'll move on to some other things, and then we'll rotate back to John in a couple of weeks. I got four main areas that I want to teach in this year, so I can't spend all my time on one, but I do think this Gospel of John is extremely important for where we are in our development here at the Digital Cathedral. So this morning, I want to look at John the Baptist, a big personality in this first chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, and this guy's main mission was to reveal who Jesus was and what Jesus' mission was. Now, don't confuse John the Baptist with John the Apostle that wrote the book that we're reading. John the Baptist did not write this book. The Apostle John did. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was the son of Mary and Zacharias. Mary, the mother of John the Baptist, and uh, Elizabeth, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were sisters. So that made John the Baptist and Jesus cousins. And being first cousins, I'm sure that they spent a lot of time together growing up. <clears throat> so I wish, I wish that John the Baptist would have shed a little bit more light on some of the things that he learned about Jesus as the two were growing up together. I'm sure that they experienced, you know, they probably went to each other's birthday party and, uh, I'm just being funny, but shared Thanksgiving dinner together, bought each other Christmas presents, all that kind of thing, right? They were family. So I want you to get that picture this morning. John the Baptist and Jesus were family. Now, the Gospel of John, for some reason, picks up on John the Baptist when he's already an adult man in the first, first chapter of John. But John the Baptist had a very interesting beginning. So I want to pick up on a couple of the other Gospels and just lay a little bit of foundation so that you understand a little bit about John the Baptist, and I want to talk to you about him because there's some things in John the Baptist's life and his discovery of Jesus that I think correlates and parallels very, very closely to where many of us are living our life today. But let's get a little bit of understanding. Let's look a little bit of background of where this guy came from and, and how this whole thing evolved in John the Baptist's life. So let me start out with Luke chapter 1, and let me read verses 39 to 41. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 41. Then I want to back up and read verses 15 through 17. But listen to this. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Mary. All right. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, this is amazing, that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with with the Holy Spirit. Now, if I come back to uh, verse 15, uh, it's, it spells a little bit about John the Baptist. And so he kind of moves ahead and then he comes back. So let me read verse 15. This is speaking about John the Baptist prophesying his coming and what he would be like. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That kind of shoots that edemic theory nature, doesn't it? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, John the Baptist was not 
uh, an extraordinary person or a person different from anybody else. He had a father, he had a mother, but I, I, I think that's, that's really important here that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So you get a picture of John the Baptist, his whole mission, his life's mission was to point people to Jesus, to go as a forerunner before Jesus, if we could term it that way, to go as a forerunner before Jesus and to prepare the way for Jesus. John was kind of the, the, uh, the, the PR group that goes ahead of the revival and puts the posters up and announces the coming of the meetings. That's what John the Baptist was doing. He was going before Jesus and explaining that there was one that was coming after him and he was preparing the way for him. All right, now here's probably the greatest accomplishment that John the Baptist uh, worked in, in uh, come over to Luke chapter seven, a little bit more to the right. And here's, here's probably the, the high point of the ministry of John the Baptist. And I'm not sure how much of this John actually saw or how much of this was in spirit, but let me pick up John chapter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, back to Matthew chapter three. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself this morning. I got so much I want to get out to you, but I wanted I want to lay this down as systematically as I possibly can. Let me come back to, to Matthew chapter three and let's look at probably the high point of the ministry of John. Matthew chapter three, let me pick it up in verses 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, John the Baptist at the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. This is probably the high point of John the Baptist's life in his ministry. And it says, John tried to prevent him. That was good manners. And he said, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Then Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill the righteousness. Then he allowed him. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and sitting upon him. So this is, this is all what Jesus saw. All of this is capital H. He, uh, I've read that for a lot of years and I, I kind of read John the Baptist into it, but no, that's not what happened. Jesus saw this, so I'm not sure that John saw any of it. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So John the Baptist and Jesus had a very tight relationship. In fact, Jesus had a very high estimation of John the Baptist. And here was, now we'll go to Luke 7. Here was the testimony of Jesus about John the Baptist. Luke chapter 7, just read one real quick verse. John chapter 7, because I want you to see that, that John the Baptist was held in high regard by Jesus. Jesus loved him as a cousin. He was part of the family. So here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Wow, that's a powerful statement. So he puts John at the head of the list of all the prophets that were ever born, but he says anybody that is born into the kingdom, the least, is greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus loved his cousin, had a high estimation of him, put him in, put him among some pretty strong men with uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, put him uh, right in there at the head of the list of all the prophets. 
and Jesus was very upset when John the Baptist was beheaded. Now here's, here's what happened. John the Baptist was, was a strong personality. He's a very strong personality. He was Jesus' cousin. And I, I didn't read it, but in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse I think it's the first four verses, it talks about John the Baptist. Here's a, this, he was a little bit strange. He wore this, this jacket of camel hair, this vest. And it says that he ate locust and wild honey. Now, let me, let me clear something up. The locusts that John ate were not bugs. They were not bugs. They were the fruit of the locust tree, and they were called carobs, C-A-R-O-B-S. They were, the, the carobs were the edible buds on the locust tree. They were edible buds, and today they're used in, in some chocolate candy that's a substitute for chocolate. It's not, doesn't really come out like chocolate, but they use it as a substance to make chocolate or a substitute for chocolate. So I just wanted to clear that up because I think a lot of us maybe had this image that guy's out there catching grasshoppers and as soon as he's catching these grasshoppers, he's, he's devouring them. No, that's, that's, that's not the case. I see John as a very charismatic man. He's, I, th I see John the Baptist having a personality that's, that's bigger than life. Um, I, I think he came, you know, he came with a strong message. In, in Matthew chapter uh, 3, let me just read a little bit of the message that he came with. John chapter 3, and let's read maybe verses, Matthew chapter 3, let's read verses 5 to 11. And let me show you a little bit of, of the message that he came with. It was not a popular message. It was not a popular, popular message. Matthew chapter 3 and verse it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region round the Jordan went out to hear John the Baptist. He was out in the desert. This guy stayed to himself, all alone. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Boy, <laughs> I got calls it like it was, wasn't he? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's speaking prophetically of the fall of, uh, of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He's talking about the destruction of a system here. He said in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and he will baptize you with fire. John called it like it was, and it eventually got him beheaded. He called Herod out on his relationship with his brother's wife. Herod had a brother named Philip, and Herod and Philip's wife were in a relationship that was not uh, approved <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. John the Baptist called him on it. And so John, the, in, in order to please Philip's wife that Herod was having an affair with, because John was blowing the whistle on this, Herod brought John the Baptist in, imprisoned him, and eventually beheaded him. Now I'm going to show you how much Jesus loved John the Baptist, his cousin. He had a great affection for John. Not only did he place him in a place of high priority among prophets, but there was also a lot of personal feeling here. And here's, here's what happened in Matthew chapter 14. 
Matthew chapter 14, let's read verses 10 to 15. Here's Jesus getting word of John the Baptist's beheading. Now stay with me this morning because we're going to dig some jewels out of here. Verse 10. So he sent, he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Now this is a shock, man. This is a shock to your system when you just get word unexpectedly. Now John had been in prison and Jesus knew that. And we're going to see from scripture that upset John. But Jesus knew and he, he, he was beheaded. It says when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a desert place. The man was grieving. He was grieving the loss of his cousin. He was by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed Jesus on foot from the city. So this is, um, let me read just another verse. Because this, this, this is how you handle this kind of dilemma. This is how Jesus, uh, this is how Jesus did spiritual warfare. He went, he went in and countered that evil with a lot of good. Look what Jesus did. Verse 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. But when it was evening, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place, the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go, to the, go into the villages and, and get themselves a Big Mac and some fries. So Jesus went off by himself. He was grieving. And what happened was that multitudes came out and followed him when they heard where he was. So Jesus, I, I love this. I, love, I think this is such a, a profound truth. The way to handle adversity is to counteract it with good. It was evil what happened to John the Baptist. Jesus overcame evil with good. Now in all the Gospels, John the Baptist is, is a transitional figure. He was a prophet between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He came before Jesus. He was, I guess by estimates, about six months older than Jesus, and he prepared the way for Jesus. All right, so that's a little bit of background on John the Baptist. For those of you that may not have been familiar with who he was, who his parents were, his relationship to Jesus, what his message was, what his mission was, that's just a very, that's a, that's a cliff note version that we could have spent several weeks on. But I just wanted you to get a picture of John the Baptist. Now let's, let's, let's get into some interesting things about John the Baptist and maybe how it relates to people today. First thing about John the Baptist is that it's interesting to note that he pointed people to Jesus. He pointed people to Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29, I'll read it in context with some other verses in a minute, but I want to make a point here. John pointed, John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus. John 1, 29, he points his finger and he says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he, he recognized Jesus's mission to a degree. But now there's an interesting fact here. He pointed Jesus out and said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But John never became a disciple of Jesus. He never traveled with Jesus. He was his cousin. In fact, near the end of his ministry, near the end of the life of John, he doubted Jesus's identity. Now I told you that John the Baptist called Herod out on his relationship with his, with his uh, sister-in-law. And um, he was put in prison. So from prison, I mean, John begins to, to doubt who Jesus is. So he sends his boys over to where Jesus is. 
So let me, let me pick it up in Matthew uh, chapter 11. Just back a couple of pages to your left. Matthew chapter 11, and let me, let me pick this up because this is good. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So he sends two of his boys down there. John's in prison. He's, he can't get out. His cousin that he just pre has been preparing the way for, being his PR man, is in jail. And so he sends two of his, his boys down there and says to Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? That's kind of a slam to Jesus from John. Uh, John says, Jesus, are you the guy or are you not the guy? So J Jesus answered and said, go tell John the things which you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now let me, let me just tell you what I, what I perceive is going on here. I think John the Baptist was upset because he was in prison. And his homeboy, his homeboy Jesus is out preaching the gospel, doing all these works, and didn't come to bail him out of prison. Jesus didn't come to John. And John, I think this was a burr under the saddle of John. I think John was frustrated. He knew, he knew to a degree at least that Jesus was the Lamb of God that would take away entirely the sin of the world. But I think he was... He was um, irritated with Jesus, said, Jesus didn't come do something. I mean, after all, it's his cousin. And I'm out here working my fingers to the bone. I'm out here in the desert. It's hot. I'm eating these buds off a locust tree, surviving. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling the plan that I'm, I'm supposed to do for you. And you're just letting me sit here in jail. Something's wrong here. So I think he was just kind of an underhanded, uh, underhanded blow at Jesus from John the Baptist, maybe to say, hey, Jesus, how about you come over here and give me a hand. I think John reflects a lot of people today. When life is going good, when you're out there like John the Baptist, you're baptizing people, you're, you're doing the works, you're, you've heard your cousin who is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world proclaim that you're the greatest prophet that has ever lived and no greater prophet ever lived than, than you have. I think, I, I, you know, everything's going good. Everything's going good. It's, it's easy that catch this from John's life. It's easy when you're not facing any problems, when there's absolutely no difficulties, when there are things going on that, that you have control over. It's easy to say, I mean, Father loves me, Jesus is good, everything is going well. But when the pressure comes, when the pressure comes, then the doubts come. See, when the pressure comes to life, Pressure is a great measuring stick of where you're at spiritually. When pressure comes, it's like, for many of us, the Father then moves far away from us. He's no longer dwelling in us. He's moved away from us. And all of a sudden now, he's back to being the sky God who needs to come to where I am and help me and bail me out of the dilemma that I'm facing. Do you see that? That's exactly what happened in the life of John. So we need to, we need to, when we're under pressure, all of a sudden he's not, we're not in union with him. We're not one with him. All of a sudden he's out there and we need to bring him to where we're at. That's one reason I spend so much cotton picking time teaching about union, oneness. It's one of the main reasons I'm going through the gospel of John this year because it's the gospel of no duality. It's not Jesus in me. It's not the father in me. When we get to John 14, you know the verse. 
In that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. It's all one. There's no duality. And I spend a lot of time on that because when adversity comes, and it's going to come, in this world, you will have pushback. It may come from family, it may come from friends, it may come from the government. I don't know where, but you're going to have some pushback. John heard Jesus, and we've heard Jesus, we've read where Jesus said that the kingdom is within us. Paul said it like this. He said, you are the temple of God. I don't think Paul could have made any, any more profound statement than to say that you, you are the habitation. You are the dwelling place of the Father. Now, everything that Jesus told us about the Father, everything that Jesus told us about the kingdom, everything that Paul did to teach us is about internal development. It's about the manifestation of the kingdom that is within. It's about the Christ within, which is, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 1.14? That, that the Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And then we read over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that spirit, that's how powerful it is. The spirit that is within you, that, that you're in union with, that, ha that you have come into a oneness with, is, is as powerful as it is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So when we face pressure, we face pushbacks, we face adverse circumstances, here's the question. Are you far enough along in your spiritual development, in your spiritual walk, in manifesting as a son, that when you face pushback, you go within? The answer to your problem lies within. The answer to the dilemma is inside of you. The kingdom is inside of you. Everything that is in the kingdom is within you. Or when you face adversity, all of a sudden, do you find yourself on your face asking a God out there to come to where you are to help you? See. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's, that's the God of separation. That's the God that, that isn't familiar, doesn't know that you have a problem. You ever feel like that when you have pressure? Like he doesn't, have, he doesn't have any idea what's going on in my life. No, that's the time that you need to know that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. There is no separation. There is no you and him. There's only one together. And I, I spend a lot of time on that because you can see from the life of John the Baptist, I want you to catch that, that when the problem came and he's in prison, it's not going so well, all of a sudden he's got to find out if Jesus is the real deal. That's, that's when you find out what, where, you're, where you're standing, where you're walking spiritually. So John, like many of us, have a knowledge, have a knowledge, an intellectual perception of Jesus. Yes, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world but we don't know him intimately. We don't walk tightly in fellowship. We're not convinced of the oneness. John, like many of us, had not experienced the reality of the kingdom within, nor the king himself. See, the kingdom is wherever Jesus is the king. It's the domain of the king, and it all begins within us. For many people, it's just a theory. It's a good theology. Yeah, we read it. We read it in the Bible. It's it's you know, it's a hopeful happening someday when Jesus comes. In very real sense, people today in the church are just like the Jews of of the day of Jesus. They were looking in Jesus' day, the Jews were looking for the Messiah to come, set up a kingdom, and and punish all of those that had been hard on them. 
And that's exactly what the church is doing today. They're looking for a physical second, second coming of Jesus to come set up a kingdom and, and wreak havoc on all these evil, wicked people that have caused the church and Christians all this problem all these years that have, have discriminated and held us in ill repute, all that kind of thing. So it's, it's the same thing. That's we haven't experienced it. We've seen it, we've, we've, we, but we don't know the reality of it. And so we're going through the book of John because when we hit this union thing, we hit the oneness, then it becomes not just a theory, not just a theology, it becomes something that is real. We need the revelation of the power and the authority of the kingdom and how to live it out, how to walk it out daily. And I'm gonna get into that in just a couple of minutes. I gotta move on because I'm running behind right now. So religion teaches us all the right words, teaches all the right phrases, the kingdom, the kingdoms within us, but there's no experience. There's no encounter with the king. There's no encounter with the kingdom. We, we live in a day, I just gotta go down this rabbit trail for a second. We live in a day that is about demonstration. We live in a day that's about manifestation. We live in a day when all of this is about the practical working out. Listen, if I can't practically work it out, if I can't demonstrate it and manifest it, I don't need to know any more theory. I learned a lot, I learned a lot of practicalities of theology and uh, you know, all, of the, all of the ramifications of belief systems and I have a degree in systematic theology. That's not what it's about today. Today it's about the proof being in the pudding. Can you produce what it is you believe? Paul taught how to live the kingdom. He didn't use the word kingdom much. Jesus used the word kingdom a lot. Paul did not use the word kingdom much, but he taught the power of the working of the kingdom within through awakening, through the eyes of your understanding opening, through revelation, through dependence on living from the inside to the outside. He brought revelation, really. But what Paul's revelation was all about was expressing the kingdom that Jesus came to introduce. Listen to me. Jesus taught the importance of the kingdom. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He taught the location of the kingdom. And Luke 17, 21, he says, don't look here, don't look there, don't look outside, the kingdom is within you. Paul taught the power of the kingdom in action through sonship. The, 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 the visibility of the kingdom comes through the sons and the daughters of God as they manifest. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not talking about a building, not talking about denominations. Jesus did not come to establish Christianity. He's talking about people. I came, I came to build my people. Paul said this. He said the building of the church was the outworking of the kingdom within called living sonship. That's what Paul called it. He called it living sonship, living from within. Jesus called it priority, seeking it first. It's located within. The teaching of Jesus, teaching of Paul were really a one-two punch. I'm going to put some, uh, I'm going to put some words on that in, in about five minutes. But I want to get back to John. John had not awakened to the kingdom or the full identity of Jesus. He saw it, but he didn't get it. Let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I will show you, show you about John. John chapter 1, and we're going to be done with this first chapter today. 
John chapter 1, verse 29. Next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Then this is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Verse 33, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John had an intellectual understanding. He recognized Jesus. He, he was enlightened to that degree. See, many, many people believe in enlightenment. They desire enlightenment, but they haven't experienced it. They, they, they see it, but they have not experienced it. Now, just stay with me this morning. You can get a glimpse from afar. John had a, a, a glimpse from afar. He carried a concept. He carried an idea. But none of that means that you've entered into the kingdom. And I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he's talking to Nicodemus over in John 3. We'll get to in the weeks ahead. But in John chapter uh, 3 and verse 3, he says, uh, Unless you're born of water and spirit, you don't see the kingdom. And he, then he goes on in, in verse 5 and says that it's necessary for you to enter the kingdom. So I, I might have rephrased the words a little bit wrong there. But in verse 3, the emphasis is on seeing the kingdom. Verse 5, the emphasis on entering the kingdom. There's a difference between seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. I, I've read books on the kingdom. They see it. But they have no real insight. They have no revelation on how to put boots on the ground and walk this thing out. And so today what God is doing is he's, he's enlightening us. He's opening our eyes. And Paul, as we get deep into Paul, we see that Paul actually shows us how to demonstrate this thing. Jesus did on some level in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He shows how to demonstrate the kingdom. It gets, gets pretty tough to do. John came to bear witness of the light. He came to bear witness of Jesus, but he, he did not identify with it. He didn't have the full identity of it. It's kind of like this. Maybe this, maybe this, you'll, you'll relate to this. It's like going to church every Sunday and hearing all the messages, hearing all the teaching, sitting in your little chair going, amen, yes, amen, that's true, that's right, that's good. Oh, I, I like that, I believe that, I see that. But it doesn't change you any from Monday to Saturday. Church full of people like that. They've heard it. They see it, but they haven't entered into it. Now, what we're doing at the Digital Cathedral is entirely different. We're talking about entering into something and actually living it out and demonstrating it. And this whole year of 2022, it's going to be about demonstration. I'm not after, I'm not after laying hands on people and slaying them in the spirit. That's not the demonstration I'm talking about. I'm talking about living your daily life shining as a light, being the salt of the earth, being the leaven in the lump, being something in visible form that people will be able to look at you and know that there's something different about you as you demonstrate the kingdom. For those, day, for those people that are awakening, my friends and my brothers and my sisters here at the Digital Cathedral, as we're awakening, the days of just seeing it are over. They're behind us. It's the day of entering into. It's the day of the, the manifestation. In fact, there are two words. And I, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on these two words. 
There's two words that I think are extremely important for sons today as we move past and in many cases out of the mainline church, out of religion, as we're coming into a, a higher, higher degree of understanding, as our, our minds are opening up, as our consciousness are expanding. There's two words that I think are extremely important and we need to understand the difference between the two because it's a difference between seeing and entering. Two words are this, application, which is when you put something into operation, you apply it. And the second word is manifestation. That's when you clearly make it visible and make it plain so that anybody can see it. Application is the root. It's putting it out there. It's getting it going. It's starting the movement. And the manifestation is the fruit that automatically grows from the application. So putting into operation is an act. It's an action. It's something you do. The manifestation is the fruit of the, of the application of the operation. It's a natural happening. It's a natural, it's a natural byproduct of the application. See, we don't try to manifest as sons of God. Manifesting as a son of God is, is just the fruit of the operation that has gone on within us. It's, it's applying internally the things we talk about at the digital cathedral and at the secret place. It's, it's the inner expansion. It's the inner growth. And what naturally comes out of that then is the fruit, is the manifestation. So in church, everything was around, you know, trying to bear fruit. You don't try to bear fruit. Fruit just pops up. Fruit naturally comes out on an apple tree. The operation, the application is taking place in the trunk throughout the root system and all the branch does is stand there and just bear the fruit. You bear fruit. You don't work for it. You don't try to, try to make it happen. It just pops out on the branches. Starts out little and grows. Apples, little green apples, become big red apples. See, that's the manifestation. But there's been a whole lot going on behind that. So, so living in the kingdom is an application or an operation. It's what we do. Living in the kingdom is what we do, right? Are you with me? The manifestation is the tangible result. It's, it's the visibility of your life of what has gone on in the application or in the operation. People can't see that going on. People have no idea where you're at spiritually. They can't tell. Only thing they can do is look at the fruit of your life. So when somebody comes by, you're, you, they need to be able to pick off some peace, pick off some joy, some long suffering, some gentleness, some goodness. They need to be able to pick that fruit off. That's how you manifest as a son. But the manifestation is a visibility of the work that has gone on internally. Now, I want you to watch the application and the manifestation in a couple different uh, texts in scripture. And I want you to get this because I think some of you might be discouraged that you're not seeing the fruit that you want to see. And what I want to tell you is this, just relax. Don't sweat it. Let the internal application do its full work. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is the outward manifestation of the Christ that is within us, the application. All right, see if you can pick it up on here. Let's, let's look at Jesus for just a minute. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is really good stuff today. and it, it, It's going to help 
clear up some some misunderstanding maybe you've had or some anxieties you've had and we see it in the, in the John that he saw Jesus he didn't really he, he didn't manifest he saw the working but there was not the manifestation he saw it but he didn't enter in now watch watch see if you can see the application and the manifestation in uh, X chapter 10 verse 38 now here's the application here's the working in Jesus how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. All right, that's the inner working of Jesus. Scripture just pops into my mind how Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. That's an internal working. That's an internal working. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. You can't see that going on. It's an operation within. Now here's, here's the manifestation. Who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Listen, he could not have, have, have healed all the sick or delivered the oppressed in manifestation if the operation, if the application had not taken place first within his life. What's going on in many of our lives is this. It's the application. It's the inner working. It's the sorting out. It's the ditching of, of ego, of self, of, of all the junk that we've accumulated, of religious ties and bondages and wrong mindsets. All that is part of the kingdom coming in and the Spirit of God within has formed uh, you know, s some little cords and whips like Jesus had and, he, and he's driving all that junk out of your temple. It's all coming out. You are the temple. He's cleaning the temple. He's getting it right. You don't have to try to do it yourself. I'm not telling you, try to live holy. Try to, you know, stop all your sin. No, let him do the internal work, the operation that you can have the manifestation, right? See if you, you can pick up on this one. Matthew chapter 28. This is just before Jesus ascended and he's with the, with the disciples. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all power... He spoke to the disciples and said, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's an internal working. That's an application. That's, a, that, that's a, um, an ongoing process. So now he says to the disciples in verse 19, I'm giving it to you. What I have, I'm giving it to you. Uh, it's, gonna be, uh, uh, it's going into operation in your life. Now how's the manifestation of this going to look? Verse 19. Or verse, verse 29, I'm sorry, verse, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to absolve all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, look, the application, the operation is the authority, it's the power that I had that worked in me. I'm now, I'm now placing it within you. Remember in John chapter 20, he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's an active Holy Spirit now working in the disciples. Jesus transfers the power and authority, and the manifestation is going to be the making of disciples, the teaching of the gospel, doing the work that Jesus did. And Jesus did even greater works than he did. Authority was given. That's the application. And the manifestation was the disciples and making the kingdom visible. Now, let's turn it to your life. Do, do you see that in the life of Jesus, Acts 10, 38? Do you see it, Jesus passing it to the disciples? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19, application, manifestation, two powerful words that we're gonna have to really get comfortable with, understanding that everything that happens on the outside has first taken place on the inside. Romans chapter eight. 
Let's look at our life. Romans chapter 8. Let's look, let's look at some internal working that is going on. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Where are you led by the Spirit at? In, inwardly. That fine-tuning, getting good at it, getting to where you're right on that same frequency, that same vibrational pitch as the Spirit of God. And I'm working on a good teaching right now that I will guarantee that everybody that listens to it is going to be led by the Spirit and hear the voice of God. But it's going to be down the road a little bit. But I'm, it's going to be maybe five, six weeks. But we're going to get there. All right. So this is an internal. This is the application. Many as are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Where? Inwardly. There is, should be no bondage and no fear in you. That's an operation that the Spirit of God is taking out of you. Perfect love casts out fear. Come on now. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Where did you receive the spirit of adoption? You received it within you. It's an internal job. It's an application. It's a process. The spirit itself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Where does the bearing of the spirit go on? It goes on the inside. And if you're children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him that you may also be glorified together. All this is an internal working. See, all this is going on. And then we hit that golden 18th verse of Romans chapter 8 that everybody teaches. When he, when he says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We all want the glory to be revealed. We all want to work as the manifested sons of God. The manifested sons of God is the, is the appearance, it's the visibility of what verses 14, 15, 16, 17 are working within us. When these things are working within us, then the manifestation will be as sons and daughters of God. Now, people get all, all get the cart before the horse. They want, to, they want to be the manifested sons of God, but they aren't realizing that the work that has to be done internally. Manifestation of a son of God means this. It means you live the kingdom. It means you live truth. It means that you're able to live forgiveness. Jesus taught us, forgive our enemies. Bless those that despitefully use us. You can't do that naturally. You say, well, that's heavy stuff. Yes, it absolutely is heavy stuff. It's an internal working first, but when you get it internally, you'll be able to demonstrate it outwardly and be blessed by sending those that treated you wrong a check in the mail to bless them. You say, I don't know I can do that. You will when the application begins to unwind. See, what's going on is he's increasing, you're decreasing. The fullness of Christ is growing within you. The operation, the application is, is moving within you until the manifestation, until Christ is fully formed and expressed as my life. And I stand back and say the fruit of this, all that's going on is this. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ that lives in me. That's the fruit. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ. That's the fruit of the operation. That's the manifestation of I've been crucified with Christ. The crucifixion was a one time happening, but it continues on. So we're awakening. We're awakening. And what we're awakening to is a demonstration that is two parts. Application. Manifestation. It's a it's a work 
and then becoming a visibility. It's not a one-time happening. This, this, this continues. It's, it's application manifestation. The more you manifest, the more you see, the more that can be applied. Now, I want to encourage you about something. Most people are not like Paul where this is a one-time knock him down on the road to Damascus experience. It's, not, it's probably not even like Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. That, that I could trace you all through and show you the application, the manifestation through all those experiences. First thing that happened to Paul after the, after the Damascus road experience, he had to go deeper. So he got out in the desert all by himself for a number of years. What was going on out there? The applicant, the inward operation was going on within him. He was getting things settled. He was getting them nailed down so that when he came back, he was able to demonstrate that which had been worked within him. That's what I'm going after. John the Baptist was not able to demonstrate outwardly what had worked in him or he never would have sent two guys to doubt Jesus' identity. That was a measure, I think, in all fairness, of where John was walking spiritually. But again, in all fairness, that was pre-cross. He did, not have, he did not have the opening of, of his eyes that we have post-cross. So the spirit of truth in this time is bringing kingdom consciousness, it's bringing sonship, it's bringing awareness into everyday life, it's bringing it into visibility. But I want you to embrace the process. I want you to embrace the application. I want you to embrace the operation as it begins to unwind. Jesus used seed in the ground as a good illustration. When the seed goes in the ground, there's a lot that goes on below the soil where you can't see it. But then one day, all of a sudden, that little, that little seedling sprouts up and it begins to grow toward the light, doesn't it? It moves toward the light. But it could never move toward the light. It could never break through. It cannot start to demonstrate it being an apple tree or a peach tree if it had not had the application below the surface in seed form. That's just the start. It grows, it blossoms, it produces fruit. All right, let me just say this. The reality of the kingdom is a process of opening to not just see, but to enter the kingdom. The seeing is the application. The seeing is the operation. Seeing is, is how it begins. When we enter the kingdom, that's when we begin to manifest the kingdom. I want you to remember this. Listen, remember this. You can't enter it if you first don't see it. You can't manifest what has not first been operational in your life, what has not been applied in your life, what has not been worked into your life. You're not able to, to manifest it. But once you see Christ as your true self, which is what John missed. John, there's no way that John could see Jesus as him. There's no way that John the Baptist could know that as Jesus was, so he was to be in this present world. There's no way that he can know that Christ was his true self. That was, it was premature. John didn't grasp it. The application takes place. The self decreases. The ego all that I've had in, in mindsets, like I said earlier, it, it evaporates until there's nothing left of me. See, that's the, whole, that's the whole process. That's the operation. Until I can say, like Paul said, no longer I who live. No longer me living this life. It's Christ doing the living. But the life I live is the expression of the life of the Christ that has been worked within me. 
Little children, I travail again, Paul said, until Christ be fully formed within you. That fully forming, he's there in fullness, but we're, we're, we're knocking the edges off. We're knocking off everything that doesn't look like him. And as we do, then we begin to express it from the outside. All right, my time is up this morning. Let me just say this. Living from the inside out is living the Christ is us life. I so much want you to enjoy the process. I hope when we come to the dig hope when you come to the digital th cathedral on Sunday morning, that I encourage you to continue in the journey. You're at a good place. You're right where God would have you. Don't feel discouraged. Don't feel like you've wasted years. <clears throat> All the things that we've had to discard from religion. That's part of the process for us. We've been handpicked to be on the front of this thing, and so what we're doing and what we're learning, we're going to be able to pass on. Paul told Timothy, he said, I want you to teach faithful men who can teach others also. So it was to go from Paul to Timothy to faithful men who would teach other faithful men as well. It went four generations deep. You're the first or second generation in this, and it's all going to become clearer and clearer and clearer as we go. If everything seems as clear as mud right now, just hang in there. Just let it continue to so Wash yourself in this. Go back, listen to it several times, and every week we just unwind a little bit more. Thank you for being with me. Uh, God bless all of you. It's always a pleasure to be with you on Sunday morning. This is the high point of my week, Sundays and Wednesdays, just like being a pastor at the building. Those were I enjoyed those days. I enjoy the time that I spend with you. I enjoy your comments. I appreciate your comments. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and leave a, leave a comment down below. Leave a comment more than thank you or that was good. Put something there that you, you pulled out of this teaching so that people that read the comments, see people read the comments before they look at the video. They wanna find out what you thought about it. And then over on Facebook, we'll, put, we'll post this as we always do on the public page and on the Don Keithley ministry page. Again, thank you, God bless you. Thank you for all your support. We'll see you next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Central, right here at the Digital Cathedral. And don't forget the secret place, 7 p.m. Central on the Don Keithley ministry page. If you haven't joined, make sure you do today. God bless.